Hi there, I'm Joe Hilliard. And I'm Aislinn Campbell. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Dinner Table Talks. You know, Aislinn, some couples golf together or tennis together or go fishing together. We talk together. We eat food <laughs> oh, together. Oh, we do that too, yeah. Food is an important <laughs> part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it on this podcast each and every week. Yeah, we talk about food, family, friends, and fun. It's Dinner Table Talks. And if you want to learn more about us or a little more about the podcast, we always suggest that you listen to episode one. You can always learn how to get in touch with us and where to find us across all the social media and at our website, dinnertabletalks.com. So pull up a chair. Dinner is served. Hello, everybody. I'm back and I'm Aislinn Campbell and I'm with... Now, I'm so confused because we just recorded a fancy new intro that people just heard and we said our names. Are we going to say our names again? Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's Aislinn Cam. No, it's fun. I like the intro part of it. I think that we should continue to remind people who we are and then get on with the show. <laughs> our life is an open book now, and I thought that that creative decision making could uh, just go right on the air. My name is Joe Hilliard. Hello, my darling. How are you? Great, great. We had a lovely uh, dinner as we, right before we came to this table, as a matter of fact. Yes, we did. We'll talk about that at another it's time. It's not eligible for this episode. We're no. going to talk about the last 21 meals that we had. And, you know, I said that, and I say that from week to week. Yes, And do. last episode, you were like, I laugh every single time laugh, you say 21 meals. Well, when I'm listening, I go back and I go, he says 21 meals every single time. Okay. Like, it's so scripted. This, it's not <laughs> scripted because that's not even actually ever written down anywhere. But my question is, do you eat 21 meals a week? I, I don't eat 21 meals a week. I probably am more likely to eat 21 meals a week now than I did... We talk about lunches and dinners on this show. We have never, I don't think, talked uh-uh, about a breakfast. I talked about breakfast once. Oh, you talked about that breakfast conversation. Yes. I'm talking about the best meal of the week is never breakfast. Has not been on the show one time. Well, that's going to change because you're going to make a breakfast at some point that's going to be the best. Because you make real... And you know what? Actually, on the on the on as the weeks pass by, we just happen to have meals. I was going to talk about French toast. Because French toast is always one of my favorites, so... I don't mean to brag, I don't mean to boast, but I'm intercontinental when I eat French toast. Every time. Thank you. I skip breakfast often. I hardly skip meals anymore, because... You're eating on, we, You're eating purposefully. Well, and as I recently learned, which I guess this is... This can go back almost as an unanswered question, back to what Dong. we were talking about. <laughs> Oh my God, you scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Great, you're sitting on our fabric couch. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Should I push pause and go get some Woolite? No. We don't have Woolite in our home. What? Okay, go ahead. And that's a question you said. What? Woolite from the 80s? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so um, I don't even know what we were talking about. We were talking about, about how breakfast and then you uh, you were eating had an breakfast. an unanswered question and I, I'm now, I now eat breakfast. And the thing I was going to go back to before you donged me. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'll keep that joke to myself. Go ahead. Um, Was that I have recently been officially diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. Ah, the best conversation of the week. (laughs) Well, it's not the best conversation. I wouldn't expect you to go into that. Where are we going with it? Well, I just wanted to say back because we've been talking about that over and over again, yeah. that that's what's happened. And one of the things with hyperthyroidism is that, that you, you're, you burn calories, your, your metabolism is at a higher rate. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm hot all the time mm. and I have, um, bipolar, that's not the right way to say it, but it is kind of, your emotions go from here to there. No, 
that's just probably just natural. <laughs> but energy level wise, it uh -huh. goes up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is that my energy levels go between poles. They go from the top to the bottom. They go from one extreme to the other. So you're not skipping That's any meals? Rabbit. No, uh, no, I'm eating, I'm probably eating more than 21 meals. You know. There are occasions where I take a daughter or both of our daughters to school and with a little extra time, I'll stop and get us a taco. Yeah, I do that too sometimes. And you know, it's Corpus Christi, the breakfast taco capital of the world. I'm going to begin banging that dong, dong, gong. You're going <laughs> to... <laughs> you're going to bang the dong? <laughs> no, you're going to bang the dong. <laughs> Always to the gutter with you. Oh. Always to oh, the gutter. You started it. <laughs> But on the weekends, we always do breakfast because I usually cook it and I always get eggs out of our backyard. And we have been teasing this now for an episode or two that we're going to uh -huh. talk about our chickens. Yep. And, and it is the truth. On Saturday and right Sunday, I will make, I make breakfast. Right. You mentioned French toast a little while ago. That's on the repertoire. Mm -hmm. uh, I did omelets recently. Yeah. I did, I do a frittata. Yeah. But I'll do usually just good old fashioned fried eggs and fried some eggs. kind of, of yeah. breakfast meat that comes from the farmer's market. Yep. and But we get them from our backyard. Most of our eggs come from the backyard. Let's talk about our chickens. We have six chickens. Yes, we started with eight. Yeah. It goes back farther than that. When you and I first started dating, you were living out on your parents' farm property. Yes. yes. And they had how many, how many chickens did you guys have? Well, when... Like 50? Yeah. <laughs> That's a story. Well, I ordered 100. Yeah. Because because when I when you first met me, yeah. my parents weren't living on the farm yet. No. We actually had 30 in their backyard. Okay. But they oh, they had okay. a big backyard. That was in That their... was the first chickens. That's my first chicken experience. Yeah. But then when I moved out to the farm, because I moved out to the farm first, I ordered 100 baby chicks. I don't know if you remember this I do. experience. Yeah, I I, I remember. <laughs> I came home. But I wasn't invested in it at all. Uh, from the standpoint of this was a hundred percent foreign to me, but right. I knew that you were a weirdo farmer hippie, <laughs> and so the idea that you were a hundred chickens. chicks. I love chickens. You're right. You weren't invested in Not it. At That's all. true. I had a hundred chicks, just because it's a funny story, I think. And I it's kind of a tragic story, if I remember. It's probably not funny. It's tragic. You're right. We had built this like pullet box, like a big pullet box. This is for your pullets are your like teenage chickens. And mm -hmm. it was big enough for them. But it, but I had a hundred baby chicks that I had to like keep in the, the chick place are, that I had. These are chicks that you're going to see at, at Easter. Like, day old chicks, chicks that I yeah. picked up from the post office in a box. Right. But there were a hundred of them. Right. And we put them in this big box with sand underneath it. Mm -hmm. And we had this dog that was like living out there with me by myself that was actually a dog, kind of an aggressive Guard yeah. dog. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm she... missing a piece of my leg. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, okay. No, you're not. She she dug under and literally squeaked these one day old chicks all over the place. One at a time. I came took, home. Took a chomp, went to the next one. Took a chomp, went to the next one. Just squeaked them. That's what I would like. A dog squeaks a toy. Right. Squeak, squeak. So that's probably how, that's how we ended up with fifty. Was because there was probably fifty dead ones that I had to deal with. It was. You're right. It was tragic. I got home and I think I called you crying. You oh did. my God, the dog ate the chicks. And ah. I'm like, what am I getting into? <laughs> so anyway. She's a farmer, hippie weirdo, and clearly she's not very good at it. But one of the things we liked to now, do. That is a joke because no one Whatever. I'm, I'm already ignoring you. Do you see that? Yeah. One of the things that we liked to do while I was living out on the farm was watch farm TV. This is where I was going. This is where you began to learn a lot about the chickens. Yes. 
And we would literally sit on a little swing uh-huh. right by the fence and, and watch, watch the chickens. Watch the chickens. You know, do what chickens do. You know, you would say, hey, go into the freezer or whatever and get those leftovers, whatever, and let's go so slop the chickens. Yeah. We'd take it out there. In addition to feed and other things yeah. that you would feed the chickens, we would just go throw out the, all and the watch chicken them scraps, eat. All the kitchen scraps, everything. The best part when I tell that story is everybody goes, everything? And I go, everything. Well, when I drug you back anything. into the urban situation, we moved back to town. Yeah. And we settled in at this house. Yeah. I said, we should do, or you said, I can't remember. Oh, well, I've been, I had been trying to talk you into chickens. a chicken, a backyard, yeah, a coop. So I built a coop uh, with my own two hands. And I... The whole thing? Designed? Pa- painted and... it red and white. Classic barn look. Yeah. And... What, what color do you want it? Whatever you want, Aislinn. Black, red? Okay, red. Yeah. And we, they got, so we've got in our backyard, and I think that the best thing that we could do is that when this episode releases, you and I do a Facebook Live in our backyard and kind okay. of show folks yeah. around. Yeah. We had eight chickens. They come in the box from the post uh-huh. at the post day office. We, we raised them from day old. And I, you you picked the types. You, and, and you said what what? Because well, now I'm invested. Yeah, you said so I, you asked I'm me what involved. kind. Like you you should pick Ace, and I was like, no, you just pick. And you go, well, what kind? And I said, pick all. No, I said pick three Americanas, mm-hmm. and Americanas are special because they lay blue and green eggs. They're right. what people call Easter eggers. Right. And then I said, and then pick all the rest of them to be brown egg layers. And you said order seven, and I said no, order eight, because it's likely that one of them will die mm-hmm. in the early stages. It's very stages. common that one yes. of them will die in transit. Well, not necessarily or... in transit, but they won't have made it. That like transit would have been so hard on them that they might not make it through a, a week. Which, if I hadn't week. been interrupted, I would have said, or in those early stages, because <laughs> you've got to regulate their I temperature. I forget you're like a chicken guy oh, now. <laughs> who gives the talk at all you're across the, the town on how to get started with chickens in your own backyard? And the reason why I give that talk is, just fast forward now, what, two years or so? I cannot I imagine my You've life. You've had these chickens, no, these chickens are two full years old. I can't imagine yeah. a life without chickens. Right. And now I'm a hippie farmer weirdo. Not a black belt like you. I'm more like a yellow belt, maybe, you know. Not feeling so much like a black belt these days. Well, it's because you're hyper. <laughs> thyroid. Just, just take, the th- just take the thyroid part off. <laughs> so we have chickens in our backyard, and they are no fuss, no muss. They put themselves to sleep. They get themselves up in the morning. All we have to do is open the door in the morning, close the door at night, and I give them a couple scoops of food during the day. Except I, you've heard us talking about them recently. Mm-hmm. They're, you've heard me saying, because we've let them out into the whole yard, because I kind of, my garden has just kind of gone to rest, and I right. just let them we have used, my garden. Yeah, you know what? In fact, we could go on and on, and we should probably just pick it up in that Facebook Live. But how you've used the chickens in the backyard to help you create gardens help you in this time when the garden is fallow and it's and now there's nothing out there really that yeah, you're trying to save well let, just let the chickens free roam the entire backyard what i was going to say is they crap on our back porch now well because you manifested that no that started the day only after because i knew you said don't let them crap on the back porch <laughs> but you've heard me yell out oh my god did you see that chicken is chasing a bird so i was watching the chickens and they so there are grackles in our backyard right now because it's it's uh well, it's I'm one put- of the seasons when they're when chick when birds are what do you call it? Migrating? Yeah, mm-hmm. migration season. Well, there's a bunch of grackles in town right and now. And I throw seed back there. Sure, but I'm telling you right now, those chickens chase those grackles. They chase them. Chase them away from their food. I just think they'd like to mess they're, with they're them. Liking to play, they're like playing. Yes, that's exactly what I think. So, can you name our six chickens? We had eight chickens. Two are gone. Yes. Tragedies? Yes. 
Uh, can you name the other six yes. that are still living? Yes. Give it to me. Wait, except one thing I'll tell you is that I'm not certain... Which of the brown ones? Which the brown ones died. Because they're the like two, identical twins. Yes, and they used to have, when you first brought them home so that we could get to know them, two Rhode Island Reds were the exact same breed. And those were Curry and Dodie. Those were both named by the girls. I don't know which one's left because they don't have the name tags on them anymore. We're just calling her We had curry. to take the little things off of them because they yeah, grew. Right. Whenever they're chicks, they look all identical, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. So you put a little plastic band around ones, their leg, and they were. I had eight different colors. The red one was, the white one was, the black yeah. one was, the little band so around their leg. So we have Frida, and I think she's the head chick. Has pretty much always been the head chick. Mm-hmm. She is a bard rock. And then we have Gizmo. That was, I named Frida. Hunter named Gizmo. Gizmo is Daphne, I think, or something like that. I can't remember. And then the Americanas are, there's a white Americana, and her name is Leslie Nope. And there is two brown and black Americanas. One of them's name is Harvey. Why is there one named Harvey? Because we got the chicks about three days before Harvey made landfall. Hurricane Harvey made landfall about 50 miles north of Corpus Christi. And we had to, we don't know exactly where it's going to land, but we need to get inland. So we headed to your parents' farm with Two or three-day-old chicks in a box, and Harvey almost didn't make it. Too much stress. Did make it. Named her Harvey. That was the first one that we named. Yes. And then Mother Clucker. That's your son named Mother Clucker. Yeah. And she's the one that had a messed up eye. Yes. Yeah. And then the one, the other one that died, which really surprised me because she never acted sick. She was always strong. She was an independent bird. She was one that liked to be by herself. A big white bird. Not a white leghorn, but a big white brown laying egg. I don't know what breed it was. And she, her name was Poppy. Yeah. Because Poppy was a big thing on YouTube. Is that that's all That's our of chicks. Them? That's I, everybody. I quit counting. Yeah, that's everybody. Let's get into our meals and our conversations this week, shall we? Shall we? So tell me, Joe, what was your favorite, favorite meal? What was the most interesting meal to you? It has happened twice on the podcast that you and I share the exact same meal. And if I had to guess, I think that that's going to happen again. Our friends, the Italians, Ente Marivellioso, Marivellioso, Ente Marivellioso, invited us to the <laughs> restaurant, Bellino's, to enjoy their last Friday of the month four-course wine pair dinner. We had no plans, and we jumped all over it. I think the timing was actually perfect. Like we'd had a crummy day. Did I get it right? Are you? Was that your favorite meal of the week? It had to have been. Oh sure. Okay. Easy. So, I mean, as usual, he cooks a mean meal, and that four-course meal, the portions are just a little bit smaller, which I don't mind at all. I don't need four American-sized courses of food, especially when it's all paired with four individual wines. Yeah. And I remember at the... because So what what Francesco does is he gets up there and he'll tell you a little bit about the service and a little bit about the prep and a little bit about the locally sourced items because there always are some. I believe that the eggplant was locally sourced easily. He had two courses that didn't... One of them didn't feature eggplant, but one of them did. Uh And uh, he said at the very beginning... He he speaks English very well, but he has that thick Italian accent. So he's up there talking and... You know, and I don't do an Italian accent very well, but he's up there talking and listen, <laughs> that I'm... not like he, Italian he, at all. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, uh, come to Dublin. No, that's, that's nice. It's nothing stereotypical. No. It's nothing ridiculous. But he's up there talking. I'll, I'll can that then. I yeah. won't do that anymore. He's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. He gets up there and he says, in the restaurant world, we are moving away from these strict wine rules where a white wine must be paired with 
fowl or fish and a red wine can only be with this. Also, I'm going to serve a red wine with the fish tonight and uh-huh. that's just what it's going to be. Uh-huh. And then so the first course was a, I love it when he does this kind of thing. In Sicily, we serve this first course yeah. at room temperature. Yeah. I'm going to serve it to you that way. It will not hurt my feelings if you want me to heat it up for you. Yeah. But I would like for you to taste it the way it is intended on being served. Yep. But that's the American in us. That's the that's the Well, that's him catering to the American in us. Yeah. That that is that is chefs having to cater to the American diet or whatever. We 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 want Italian food, American we want Indian food, we want Mexican food, but we want our version of it. And he and he basically said, "Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to serve it to you the way that it's supposed to be served." But it won't hurt my feelings if you want it done. And of course, who is going to... No one sent it back. Right, of course not. Because it was freaking delicious. I mean, it was perfect the way that it was. Yeah. Now, it was probably nice that he mentioned that that would be the case. Because I could see a, a diner or two say, oh, this is this is not hot, and food is to be served hot. Well, so when let, he gives let, you the preface, you can accept it with no right. question. Well, and I was going to say, let him save you from saying, calling him over and telling him that your dish isn't warm enough by teaching you that this is the way we serve it. And that makes any meal nicer yeah. if you're at a, not a chain restaurant where there is no... I'm thinking like a macaroni grill or a Olive Garden where there is no deviation. Why are we naming them? When those people are paying my bills? Oh, well, <laughs> well, because in real life, in our town, there is a hour wait on a Tuesday at Olive Garden. I oh. mean, it's just the culture that we, it's the culture that we live in. So that is also... Excuse me if I tell you gross. I completely agree with you, but that's the culture Excuse that... Excuse me if I laugh a little bit, if that's, if you're one of those people waiting in a long line to eat it. Hey, you do that you. Hold on. You do place. you, do you. But if you are you competing... You do you, but let me tell you, you is wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. No judgment, but you are completely incorrect. <laughs> you are. If that is your competition, though, think about living in a city where that is the case and knowing that when you do get someone in your door that hasn't had food like this before and it's not served exactly the way that it is across America in every single city, the exact same way, no matter which Olive Garden you go to, you might have a challenge or two. So they had rosé with that special dish. And then through each course, he gets up to talk to everybody. Yeah, right. Right? I love those kinds of things when the chef gets up and talks and tells you what he created and artist yeah. gets to show off well, exactly what his art is. And also, I love watching his wife watch him. What do you mean? Because she's in love with him. And she's watching, she's watching him, him at the height of his power. Yes, she's watching him perform. And she's, she's, she's proud of him. And that's, that's fun. Do, do you look at me like that ever? What what am I doing when you look at me like that? Uh, I I watch you sometimes. I, okay, I'll tell you when when you're up at the the city council and you're like you're like slam dunking it. <laughs> you're like, I'm hey d- hey dummies, I'm, let me prove you wrong with this piece of paper and this piece of paper. <laughs> I'm pissed off about something. I'm, yeah, because we don't go up there very often. So no. when he does. You, you can hear him talk. But you were saying he gets up there and he's talking. <laughs> yeah, so he gets up here and he's talking. And then all of a sudden, he's now serving this the second course. Right. That was a fusilli, a fusilli pasta with... Roasted eggplant on top. On top. Yeah. But uh, with like salted ricotta. I will tell you, 
that that was Ricotta. the best eggplant I have ever eaten was, in my entire life. It was delicious. It was roasted, crispy, thin pieces of eggplant. Mm-hmm. It was the best eggplant I've ever eaten in my life. Something happened during that course. Right. I want to see if you wanted it, if you remembered it. Well, no, of course. This is what I was going to say, and that is that he he's looking around and he's talking about he's the dish talking. and he's, he's got it. He's waving his, his hands, yeah. and all of a sudden he looks down at the guy right in front of him because the, the the staff is bringing out the dishes and they're serving As the he's dishes. Discussing it, and he looks down and. He, he looks right at the guy and he goes, that's not for you. And he picks it up and he brings it right over and sets it down in front of me. Because he had used the grain-free pasta for that one. Exactly. And I was really surprised because I didn't expect at this a special formal dinner where he's, he's serving, serving 15, 18 people. Yeah. That he, that I, I literally said it like, I can't believe. And he goes, of course I would remember you. Of course I remember and so he made, so I, cause I would have just picked around. I would have just, I would never have right. said a single word. No, you weren't there to be catered to. No, of You were course. there to enjoy the experience that everyone was going to experience. And he had taken that special time to make you a special dish. Yeah. It was identical to the other dishes in every single way, except that the pasta was that grain free pasta Penne. that we have mm-hmm. been even using in our home. Yeah, like, it was God, good. Give them a plug good. again. It's Explore Cuisine. And we have talked about it in many episodes. And I promise you, you should try it. And we are not getting paid to say that. No, and you should try it no matter whether you can eat grain or not. No, it's I mean, good. exactly. It's become our pasta now because you can put it in any soup, and there you go. It makes a chicken. Noo- it it makes a chicken noodle soup carb-free, and yeah. it. I mean, not that we are counting carbs or anything like that. It's just a. It is delicious. And then he brings out this. Th- this is the course. The next course is the entree course. Right. This is the dish that he's serving the fish. Right. And he brings out a red wine and he reminds us like this red wine and, and even his wife who I'm, I'm sitting next to his wife. She's my good friend. And she says, Oh, I was really surprised to see a red wine. And he's like, no, I have this red wine. We served with it. So we get this beautiful piece of fish. Do you remember what the fish type was? Are you seeing it on the paper? No, we couldn't. It was on the paper. We're going to have to get the answer to that question. Gong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to text, wi- text him. While it we was talk. a white fish. We didn't remember what it was, and we asked, and I forgot now. And and it's funny because I was telling someone else about that recently, and they named the fish, and I was really impressed that they could name the fish. Okay, but uh, the the sauce was even was just right. as impressive as the fish. Right. So here we are with this beautiful sauce. The dish is he he just called it catch of the day in an orange and cherry tomato sauce. So the sauce around this white piece of fish is orange colored, and it's got a slice of orange citrus kind of twisted on top of it. And we're like, oh, this is delicious. We're taking our fork and we're digging into the fish, taking a little piece of the fish off and kind of getting the red sauce. And Joe even is saying like, oh, can I get, can I get some bread to dip up this sauce? And as he's saying this. I want to get, I want to sop up this biscuit with my. Right. (laughs) Can I get some biscuit with my gravy? Sop it up Mm -hmm. over here. And then Francesca goes, no, no, no. Use your spoon. Eat it like soup. Yeah. Don't use your fork. Yeah. Use your spoon so that that because the sauce is to be is intended to be eaten like just like you're eating take a bite of your fish and slurp up the sauce basically it was really 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 good and, and I was off put a little bit at the beginning because it was a thicker soupy orange sauce that y- you don't see very often butter and capers and wine sauce and garlic sauce you get but this is an orange sauce and it was orange God it was delicious it was really good fish too. It was, it was, it was cooked really, really well. It was really nice and tender. Yeah, it was really good. And I had a great time with that. And then, and then, and then there was some dessert wine, which it was nah. cute. Do what? Nah. 
Now nah, what? I don't like dessert wine. Well, and neither did that was I the thing that he said. He's like, I'm like not a big fan ever. of liking the dessert wine, and, and it wasn't. I admittedly, I didn't. I I actually do like certain types types of dessert wine. And and, no. and the dessert was so simple. It was diced peaches, un mm-hmm. unprepared, not yeah. cooked, not softened, in a little like a shot larger glass. than normal shot glass with um, Frangelica Mar- Marsala wine. Oh, Marsala wine. And an orange reduction mixed in with it. Uh-huh. God, it was so. It was a very delicious meal. We had we had meal. other friends there first besides Friday of the month. that, and we had you know just great conversations. Yeah, first Friday of the month for those of you that live in Corpus Christi, and for mm-hmm. those of you that don't, find your place. It can't be a chain restaurant. It can't be for what we're talking about, a neighborhood restaurant that's doing exceptional food. Well, and this is like what's interesting about this is that they're doing things exceptional that like no other restaurant in Corpus Christi is doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying other restaurants haven't done wine dinners or other or other restaurants haven't done special events. These guys are constantly recreating, constantly coming innovating. up with new, innovating. Yeah, constantly innovating. They're always trying to figure out something new to do. And they're bringing in the right people. And they're inviting people in to be a part of it and to talk about it and to tell their friends. I mean, gosh, when they came back, because they were out of town, um, they had another restaurant, they have a uh, another restaurant that they started in in another state and when they came back home basically and then got involved with grow local with us i mean they set out to become the best restaurant in town well they said are other restaurants in portland oregon where farm to table is just taken for granted we want the freshest ingredients we want local ingredients because they taste the best well yeah the 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 way to make the best food is to have the best ingredients so i understand that your organization Ace on the, the organization you're the executive director of does that in town. We don't care what the obstacles are because there's a lot of obstacles of doing that down here. Yeah. We are going to stick with this concept because it is that important. And they have and they are innovating. Right. That was certainly my favorite food of the week, my favorite meal of the week. Yeah, it was definitely a four mine course too. wine pairing meal, one of the best restaurants in town. Yeah. Hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one of mine too. So let me ask you a question What was your favorite dinner? talk of the week did it happen at Bellino or was it somewhere else uh no actually it was a couple days after Bellino or the next day after Bellino's the organization that I am the executive director of I'm also the founder of the organization the organization is about seven and a half years old and we are at a critical junction where we took something that was unheard of we made it with very little money but we made it with a lot of heart but you get to a point where you're a that you're a strong and capable staff that is experienced and has an expertise that no one else in your town has and you can no longer do it for free or practically free anymore and so it's time for grow local to take itself to the next level and it's time for us to do some major capacity fundraising and one of the things that I'm doing to get us to the next stage is this partnership that I've created with uh, Methodist Healthcare Ministries. And Methodist Healthcare Ministries is doing their part to strengthen the local uh, nonprofit agencies, especially the ones that are really important to them that are related to health. I got invited to participate in some educational things that are happening quarterly. 
and learning about better fundraising skills and board governance and just learning better about how to grow the organization. So I went to a day-long workshop on Saturday that was about board roles and responsibilities. Yeah. And the speaker, the teacher, the trainer that's there all day talking says one of the most important things to me, and she, or actually what she does is she asks us to say what was the thing that we found to be the most effective to us. And I thought it was interesting because when I say it, then, and we're all like having lunch together. When I say I'm it. I'm imagining there's other organizations there, other boards there, other executive directors there. Yeah, there's a couple other executive directors, mostly other From other board, kinds of nonprofit members, yeah. Got you. And uh, when I say this thing, this is the crux of what it is that Grow Local's board has to do now. This is the thing that has affected me the most. She says, your board members must go out and advocate for this organization in a way that the community understands that it would be devastated without you. And it was the first time that someone said it in a way that made me completely able to say it exactly right. And that is because I'm sitting here going, well, what if the farmer's market didn't exist? And what if these 30 businesses didn't have a strong, healthy farmer's market to go to? She's outright said your would your community be devastated without what you have available and i repeated that back to her and then that became the conversation with everyone in the room because it's then thinking about your organization and would the community be devastated without you the board have got to go out to the community and say to fellow community members and corporate donors and executive leaders that the community would be devastated without the work that Grow Local has done over the last seven years. And that was a really effective and important thing to me. That's not exactly sitting around the table talking about homecoming, but it was one of those moments that I haven't forgotten. Not only that, but I'm sitting next to people where people are going, yeah, we, we really like what you do. We really like that thing that you're doing and, and we would be that would be that would be devastating. When I consider the food landscape and you consider the listeners the kinds of conversations that we have about food and sometimes we bring it back home. When I say home, our hometown. It's a majority of these meals happen in our home. You can probably begin putting together a notion of what our food landscape is, but let me just repeat something that I think we have said in previous episodes. We live in the number one obesity and number one diabetes city in Texas. Our county, certainly. So there's some unhealthy practices that are contributing to that. And ASLIN, the organization that you founded and are the executive director of, our community would be devastated if it went away, even if it doesn't understand immediately what it has. Yeah, and I, you know what? I, we got these, these words written up Michelle, who is our grant writer, is used to writing these words. And I told her, I need to be able to tell people who we are, what we do, and why we do it. She, she really did it really well in a very small amount of words. Mm-hmm. What we do isn't run a farmer's market. But what we do is so much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's education. It's like today at the market. Tevin does this live thing where he talks every week on a Wednesday. We've picked out one particular produce item. That, that we may have an abundance of or people may ask a lot of questions about and so they don't really know how to use it. And he'll just give like tips on how to use it and he'll show what's available and he just talks about it. And so it's just giving us a little bit of education. To, as he's telling this story and we're describing what's out there, I look down at the table, the learning gardens table, and it's covered with colorful, beautiful vegetables of all different kinds. Significantly more diversity and really abundance 
than any other table. And we're there as the educators. And I say out loud, the goal of the stuff you're seeing on the table isn't to produce this food. The goal is to teach people and give people the opportunity to learn how to have affordable access to nutrient-dense foods in their own homes. And that's saying a lot about our community, that if the, the people that are teaching are still growing the most f abundance of food, it means that we have a long way to go and the community would be devastated if we were gone because it would set us back another 10 years again and we're already behind. In Nueces and San Patricio County, with all of the farmland that we have here, there is not one food commodity here. What are the commodities? Cotton, sorghum, and corn for animal food. And it used to not be that way. It just, you couldn't live that way. You couldn't exist. Corpus Christi wouldn't exist. You have to have water and you have to have food. And if you didn't grow your own food, you couldn't eat. Once upon a time. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, think about it. You, you can go to other counties in Texas and have food. Like, you might be eating a lot of cabbage, mm -hmm. or you might be eating a lot of grapefruits. And that cabbage is going all over the country, and the grapefruits right. are going all yes. over the country. Yes, yes, and that's true. And, and that's... our cotton and our sorghum is going all over the country. Yes, yes. But we're but shipping we in all of the food. But we can't feed ourselves. Right, and that's what Grow Local is all about. Yep. I'm okay. sold. Where do I make a donation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you... I guess it's, it's just par for the course when we talk about our lives that we're going to talk about our careers. You're going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about our chickens and local food is important to us there. We talk about the farmer's market all the time because you've already surmised. And maybe you have some stories about your area and how this is how, how I'm wrong because it's different in your area or you have the exact same types of stories or you've tried to do a hundred mile local in your community and it's almost impossible to feed yourself. Would you suggest that every single listener, if they're not going to one of their local farmer's markets, do so maybe once a month? Please. Please. Because the thing about it is... Don't is care if you're in New York. Don't care if you're in Washington State. Don't care if you're in California. Don't care if you're in Florida. Because... Or anywhere in between. It's not... It's, even if it's not the thing that's going to feed your household, you're helping to keep agriculture alive for small-scale farmers. You're keeping some of the food out of the industrial agricultural system. I'd love to think that my favorite dinner table talk of the week wasn't expressly local, but it is. But it was. And it was at Bellino's. It was at that four-course meal that we talked about earlier. And as the wine flowed and as the courses went on and more wine and... And the, the room got small. The room... And, and everybody got comfortable. Because you, because you don't know the guy next to you at the right. beginning of it, but you do by the end <laughs> of it. And that happened over and over and over again. There was a couple that we met where he had convinced her to go out to this restaurant, the restaurant he had enjoyed many times for the very first time. And she considered herself a bit of a foodie and said, I wish I'd been here earlier. But he has had trouble, if I recall, getting her to go out and doing things because the impression that she had of our city was that there wasn't a lot to do. And I'm the wrong person to try to have that conversation with. You're the wrong person to try to have that conversation with because we fill our lives with fun things to do here purposefully. It started with a, a thing I've talked about on the show, 40 Things to Do in Corpus Christi. It's a Facebook page and a website that I run. The website I don't put a lot of time into, but the Facebook page I certainly do. And it's basically, there was this concept that I heard. I had a radio program. And again and again and again and again, it was, Corpus sucks. There's nothing to do here. There's nothing to do here. There's nothing to do here. Yes, we have a baseball team. Yes, we have a beach. Yes, we have perfect weather almost every all year long. Yes, we have a bayfront. Yes, we've got water parks. Yes, we've got, da, 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 but there's nothing. Yes, we have movie theaters. Yes, we have theater, but there's nothing. To, no, Corpus doesn't suck. You do. 
is a is a is a T-shirt that came yeah, out, and I slogan. I love that slogan, yeah. and it doesn't even matter where you are from. We're a couch potato society. We don't like to get out. We don't like to explore. There are certainly areas of the country where that isn't the case, but here it is a choice, a harder choice than in maybe most places. And I just kind of made this quip. I've never put this sentence together before, but I told this lady and the whole room could hear me that basically Corpus Christi is an awesome city for people that know how to make their own fun. Yeah. And if you're not from here, I hope that resonates with you. If it doesn't, it's probably because you live in an, I mean, I don't even need to start listing cities. Yeah. Cities where you can throw a rock and there's just a thousand things to do that exists here as well but we have to go out sometimes and be purposeful and find it and the first year that i did 40 things to do in corpus christi that i had never done before i still call that one of my favorite years living here because it exposed me and i was able to through my newspaper column and the radio program expose everyone and try to begin busting this myth and i'm still trying to bust this myth because it's a culture of yeah. Do more for me. I won't do more for myself. So it's an awesome city for people that know how, know how to go out and make their own fun. And everyone was like, you should make a t-shirt of that. And I'm like, no. Well, it's it fun. requires it's... too much of an explanation, but everyone in the room totally gets it. Yeah, of course. Because it's, yeah, if you know how to make your own fun, this is a great place to live. Because there's plenty to do. And but ma- nobody, but nobody's going to do it for you. Making your own fun is as simple as going to a website or going to the newspaper website and finding that there's something to do and then going out to do it. Right. Which makes it... No, that's not true. Wait, which part's not true? Would you say something that I said wasn't no, true? How no. dare you? <laughs> I was just... You know I never react what, well to that. What I was doing was responding my own brain. Ah. No, that's not true. Well, put the microphone inside <laughs> your brain and let us know what you had on your mind. Yeah, no. Yes, we're gonna we we are gonna talk about the local scene a lot, and that's but um you've got your own local stories. I say we try. I say I try hard not to. Yeah, but, but this happens to be my favorite conversation. Well, and then of the week. and then I'll just add that you know at the end of the dinner table conversation, once everybody figured out who everybody was, that guy stood up and said, "I voted for you for mayor." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think we should do table topics now. What do you think? I think that we should. Is this the part of the podcast where we pull a card and we've never read it prior to this moment and ask a, a, each other the same question? Well, I have a card right here. Ask away. Okay. Unrehearsed, unknown. This is quite interesting. Go ahead. If you could volunteer your time to help one charity, which would you choose? Well, I can tell you that through my love of what it does and my love for its founder and executive director, I find that most of my charitable work, volunteer work, is for, indeed, Grow Local South Texas. I'm going to eliminate that, and I believe that you should too. So that we can answer this question with something different. Okay. Okay. But even if I wasn't the executive director, my volunteer time would still go to Grow Local South Texas. Oh, a majority golly. of it would. I mean, it's going to be a local thing, and I don't... I have one other thing that I... And I always say that I would volunteer... Actually, I already volunteer my time for the city health. So anything that's involved with health, I'm gonna mention the health two. of the city. I'm going to mention two. Okay. Because it's a tie. Okay. The first is K-Space Contemporary. Yeah, we like to volunteer for art. It is a local contemporary art organization. And if you haven't figured out by now, we are arts and culture people. And I appreciate the work that they do for creating city murals around town. And of course, the installations at their own gallery. And I think on our Facebook page, I'm even going to talk about them a little bit. Yeah. 
The second one, and this is the one where if I had more time, I would definitely, and that is the um, Surfrider Foundation. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was a TV radio film major in college, and I took an environmental studies class as an elective and decided at that moment that I would do a double major with environmental studies. Ecology, conservationism is all very, very important to me, but with advocacy and actual volunteer work, recently I have been talking to myself a lot about how that is a itch that I never scratch, and I'm a little bit disappointed in myself. My love that, for the environment is a real thing that I don't pay enough attention to. Sure. And I think that there's plenty of opportunities to, at the very bare minimum in our city, just pick up trash off of the bay line, the shorelines, right. all the shorelines. There's plenty of opportunity for that. Uh, what you said, all of that, we, we volunteer for the different art organizations. Mm -hmm. We'd volunteer for more if we had more volunteer time. I always want to volunteer and have offered to volunteer for my, um, my university, my alumni university, um, as an alumni, whatever. Well, I'm just going to ask you the question directly. If you could volunteer your time to help one charity besides your own, which would you choose? Well, I was ultimately going to wrap it all up and say that I, I agree with you on all of the things that you said. My and God, I think what date that, is it? I need to write that down. And I think that what we're saying really is that you owe it. And I'm, I want to be very clear about this. I'm not pussyfooting around. You owe it to your community to volunteer your time for everything that matters to you as often as you can. And that's really all I have to say about that. Next week's unanswered question, what is the origin of pussyfooting? <laughs> uh. Well, darling, this has been a very satisfying dinner table talk. Yep. I do know that you've got one, two, three more episodes oh, I know to where you're get going. Your, be your beans made. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I knew that. Because you said three episodes. This gonna this is episode two. Then if we do one more episode, two, Okay, I can three. make that happen. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take you. I'm going to allow you to amend the challenge to five episodes. Oh, I think it's going to be six. Because we've got, we've got, we got a week uh, backlog now. we got a week backlog. we got to get in there. Okay, well, we better get to recording. And you I better make me some beans. I'm going to make you some beans. Make me some beans. Beans and get rice. There, beans like and rice. So, so beans, nice. Beans, beans, beans. Hey, thanks so much for pulling up a chair and joining us for Dinner Table Talks. We have a lot to talk about. You can always learn more and help us spread the word all across social media. Check out at Our Dinner Table Talks on Facebook and Instagram. And for you Twitter users, at Dinner underscore Talks. Visit our website at DinnerTableTalks.com or shoot us an email at talk at DinnerTableTalks.com. We look forward to hearing from you.